While Katie Lancaster is on sabbatical, she's doing a project called Prayer in Uncertain Times, and so out of solidarity with the absent Katie, Christine Hydes and I are also preaching this Epiphany Sermon series about prayer. We're looking at two wonderful guides about how to pray. One is Anne Lamott in her book, Help, Thanks, Wow, and the other, of course, is Jesus of Nazareth, who gives us this perfect prayer in just seven simple parts. So today, the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Listen to this reading from the Gospel according to St. Luke. And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and don't keep worrying, for it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these other things will be added unto you. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I said today, I want to talk to you about the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You could say that this simple sentence is kind of a terse précis of Jesus' entire earthly message. It's sort of a compact abstract of Jesus' dissertation, if you will, because Jesus came to tell the world just one thing that in his own life and death and resurrection, God was reclaiming God's wayward creation as once again God's own. And the image Jesus uses to describe God's process is the kingdom of God. Now, it's not a perfect image for contemporary ears. For the first, in the first place, of course, it's gender-specific. You never hear anybody talking about queendoms. In 1,200 years, England has had just eight queens, but between them they reign for over 200 years, including the long reigns of Victoria and the two Elizabeths. So kingdom is gender-specific. It's also becoming obsolete in the 21st century. We don't talk about the world's kingdoms any longer. Kim Jong-un and Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin act as if they're ruling kingdoms, but they're really not. And so maybe a a better translation of the kingdom of God is the reign of God. Now, in some German translations of the New Testament, the word kingdom is translated as Reich. And so God's kingdom is the first Reich. Now, you know that in Germany, the first Reich was the Holy Roman Empire, which lasted from Charlemagne to Napoleon. And the second Reich was the realm of Kaiser Wilhelm and Otto von Bismarck around the turn of the 20th century. And of course, we all know what the Third Reich was. So the First Reich in Germany lasted about a thousand years, the Second about 40, and the Third Reich, thank God, intended to be a thousand years, lasted a mere 12. And so for Jesus, the First Reich is God's earthly reign. First in chronology, first in priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, says Jesus, and all these other things will be added unto you. Stephen Covey, maybe the world's most organized and mission-driven person, once said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I think that's wise, right? <clears throat> According to Jesus of Nazareth, 
The main thing is God's earthly reign, the kingdom of God. But what exactly is it? Jesus talks about it over and over and over again. In fact, exactly 117 times in these four brief Gospels. Talks about it all the time, but he never pauses for an instant to define it or to tell us what it looks like. Jesus doesn't define it, but J.D. Croston, New Testament scholar, J.D. Croston says that God's reign is what the world would look like if God were directly and immediately in charge. Love the way he puts that. Where God is directly and immediately in charge. And so it is a process, not a place. It's a life, not a location. And so we pray this prayer every Sunday, every seven days. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But our prayers notwithstanding, it will never happen. At least not till Jesus comes again. God's reign is elusive. It's almost utopian. It is an aspiration, not an attainment. In 1630, John Winthrop told his Massachusetts Bay colonists that the community they were about to establish would be watched by the entire world. And so they were to be a city set on a hill. They were to be an example to the entire world. Manifest destiny in all of that. And so ever since 1630, Americans have made the mistake of conflating the United States of America with the kingdom of God. And who could blame us? It's a great place, right? But it could be the case that Americans have grown smug and self-righteous. There aren't too many things and too many good things that are going to come out of the insurrection on January 6th, not to mention George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and all the rest. Not too many good things to come out of these collective traumas, but maybe it will encourage us to take a look in the mirror and to put a definitive end to the mistaken conflation of our country with God's kingdom. It's an aspiration, not an attainment. And so the measure of our faithfulness as a church, as a community, as a nation, the measure of our faithfulness is whether we are converging ever closer to or diverging ever further from the reign of God. And right now the chasm between is conspicuously wide. In a national television address on June 11, 1963, President Kennedy told the nation that Equal rights for all Americans was a moral issue as old as the sacred scriptures and as clear as the American Constitution. A moral issue as old as the sacred scriptures and as clear as the American Constitution. Hours after the president gave that address, NAACP leader Medgar Evers was assassinated. Two months later, the Klan killed four little black girls at 16th Street Baptist Church, and before Thanksgiving, the president himself would be dead. The sacred scriptures of our church and the semi-sacred documents of our nation have been trumpeting this truth for centuries, and yet white supremacy continues to rage through our bloodstream like a deadly virus. On Friday, Martin Luther King's birthday, 
David Brooks wrote about people who are deranged by the euphoric rage of group narcissism. The thoughtless roar of those who believe their superior group is being polluted by aliens. Like that phrase which comes from Eric Fromm, group narcissism. Racism is group narcissism and it is making us deranged. In 2019, the New York Times asked its readers, have you ever been told, go back to where you came from? 16,000 people responded. Rachel Walker is descended from Polish and Russian Jews. She'd just begun a doctoral program when her fellow doctoral students, these are Ph.D. candidates, told her to go back where she came from. She was stunned. She said, what, do you want me to go back to Texas where I grew up? And they said, no, go back to where your parents came from. And she said, so you want me to go back to New York where my parents grew up? But of course, that wasn't what they were looking for either. Now, Rachel says she'd experienced anti-Semitism before this, but she'd never been told that America was not her home. At a university in upstate New York, notice that even higher education is no curb to group narcissism. At a university in upstate New York, Brie Hearn was told to go back to where she came from. And she said, I am from the Mohawk Nation. We have been here for 15,000 years. You're the squatter on stolen land. Tara Westover wrote this extremely popular book, Educated. She sold six million copies. Tara Westover is from a Mormon family of seven children. She grew up on a mountain in Idaho. Her father was extremely distrustful of all institutions, so they never had any interactions with local or federal government. They didn't have a television. They never went to the doctor, and of course they never went to public schools. Tara says that she was indifferently and casually homeschooled. But then when she became a young woman, she decided that she wanted to know some things. And so she managed to convince Brigham Young University that she was rigorously homeschooled. For some reason, they believed her, and she matriculated. By her own admission, she admits she didn't know a blessed thing. She'd never heard of the Holocaust And then she says, by the way, I don't recommend raising your hand in a college classroom and asking what's the Holocaust. That does not go well. In one class, she asked, what was Rosa Parks arrested for? And the professor said that Rosa Parks was arrested for taking a seat on the bus. Tara was baffled. I don't know if she said this out loud, but she at least thought to herself, so this gentle seamstress was arrested for stealing a bus seat? Because, you see, in her world, that's what people got arrested for. You got arrested for stealing things. And it never occurred to her in her wildest imagination that an American could be arrested in 1955 in the lifetime of her own mother for taking a seat in the wrong color section on the freaking bus. So Tara's 
childish, uneducated imagination was far closer to the kingdom of God than the lived experience of black Americans in 1955 or in 2021. On April 3, 1968, Martin Luther King King said, I've been to the mountaintop and I've looked over to the other side and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but we will get there as a people. We will get to the promised land. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the kingdom of the Lord. Mine eyes have seen the glory of God's sacred reign. It's just a nebulous vision, an impossible dream. But we will never stop dreaming that dream until it comes true. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen.